This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Today we're kind of talking about, as you can tell, I'm speaking, I'm Nick, I'm not Jeff. Um, So those of you that came for Jeff, come back next week, I think. (laughs) But... uh, we're going to talk about growth, and we're going to talk about spiritually being healthy, and something that I pray often for this church when I have my own devotional time is a deepening, and that takes growth, and it takes maturity, and so we're going to get all into it. But So Robert Morris, some of you may know him. I haven't read this book, but I was doing some studying, and he, he writes a book called Healthy Church, and he's talking about church growth. He's talking about business growth. He's talking about a generalized thing, but... Um, I'm, I'm applying it to us, our own spiritual growth ourselves. And so this is really good. Get this. He says in the book, you'll never need to worry about growth in your life. Meaning like you're never going to have to wake up and will growth into your life. Like I decide today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be better. And that's all good. And I think we should have that mentality. But the thing that he says is the only thing you need to worry about is health because healthy things grow. The healthy things just grow. So he uses an an analogy, like you put a plant in the ground, you plant it, and as long as it gets the nutrients it needs, as long as you water it, as long as it's in the right environment, it's getting enough sunlight, it's not being melted by the sun, whatever it would be, as long as it's got the right things that it needs, it's getting what it needs, you don't have to tell the plant to grow or go buy some super specific thing, it's just going to grow. I've learned all too well, JC and I have, and the rest of our family, that babies grow really fast. (laughs) And I have never once had to wake up June or Ellis and be like, hey, man, listen, Ellis, today, your hair, it's going to grow. Or, like, wake him up and and look him in the face and be like, today, man, you're going to start crying louder (laughs) or your cheeks are going to get fatter. But his mom is amazing, and I am I hope I help well, but she makes sure that he's fed. She makes sure that June is fed. They, they go to sleep at a good time and get the rest they need. They're in a healthy environment. They're protected. And so, like I said, I've never had to tell them to grow, but you can tell if you've been around for any amount of time. They're growing. Like, June is starting to try and walk. It's exciting. She's also throwing more assertive tantrums than she ever has. It's a great time to be a parent. So, what I'm getting at, the fact that many believers, some who have been in church for years, don't grow, and this is, this is what I want us to get today, is because I believe that there's something spiritually that's unhealthy. There's some spiritual part of your spiritual diet that needs tweaking because if it's healthy, you're going to grow. Scripture lays out perfect examples of what healthy living and communion with the Father looks like and what it should produce in our lives. We're going to talk about it, so let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we just thank you again for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're consistent even when I'm not. I thank you for your personality that you are just going to, to, to give me the things that I don't deserve and keep from me the things that I do deserve. And you would raise me up as one of your children and one of the heirs. And I love you. I pray that today that these words that I'm going to say, if I'm going to say anything outside of your will, God, shut my mouth and say what you want to say. And I pray that it would fall on good fertile soil producing fruit, and that no person that walked in today would be able to leave and say they left the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm not trying to stereotype. We're going to change gears a little bit. Um, And this certainly isn't always true, but a lot of the time, you can look at someone and look at what they're wearing, look at who they're repping on their jersey, whatever it would be. You can look at a person and what they're wearing or what they're doing and tell a lot about them. So go ahead and throw up that first picture. 
So if you looked at this and you saw these people with hard hats and stay away from me, please don't hit me vests, what would you say they do? They do construction. They're building something. There's some type of labor. Go ahead to the next one. This is a picture of Luca. If you don't know, he's an NBA player. He's amazing. But if you look at this guy with a basketball in his hand and he's wearing that jersey and he's in the stadium, you're going to go, he is what? He is a basketball player. Go to the next one. Same thing. You can be in the same stadium that Luca is in playing basketball and look at these people sitting where they're sitting and wearing what they're wearing, and you know that they're involved, but you know that they're not players. You can tell by their demeanor what they're doing, what they're wearing. Go to the next one. Same kind of thing. You can tell these people what they're wearing. Those ladies are not like building a house. They're dancing. <laughs> so, And dancers can look all kinds of ways, but you get the point. You get what I'm saying. So, like, Jonathan, you, you didn't wear your cowboy hat on the one day I needed you to, man. Jonathan, stand up, please. He loves this. If you look at Jonathan anywhere he is on planet Earth, you will automatically, who just whistled? <laughs> was that Ashley or was that Anton? I couldn't tell. If you look at, you can sit down. If you look at Jonathan, you go, he knows about a cow, and he probably drives a truck. And you would be right. So, All right, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a part from 1 Samuel 2. If you want to follow along, it's verse 12 through 18. I'm going to do a little bit of reading today. I just do better preparing and just reading kind of what I organize. So just don't, don't check out. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, whatever the fork brought up, the priest would keep for himself. That's how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, they're talking about Eli's sons, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now, and if you don't, I'm going to take it by force. Excuse me. Verse 17, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Get this. This is the important one. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. One more time. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. So that goes into my first point today. My first point today, it's silly, but what are you wearing? And this is spiritually we're talking. I'm not talking about what color dress you have on. But if someone looked at you, where you were, the fruit that you were producing, what you were wearing, what would they assume about you? If we look around us, and this is the point I wanted to read all the stuff about Eli. And no one, I mean, we heard it just like the last time Sully spoke. A lot of the stuff that's going on in today's world, no one needs a lesson. But it's a lot of, I called it in my notes, Eli's wicked sons type behavior. A lot of stuff, and the unfortunate part, even in the body. So much in the body of Christ. We see stuff that doesn't resemble Christ. It doesn't glorify God. It doesn't grow his kingdom. It's self-edifying, and it's, it's give me it raw, like, because I'm not waiting for you to boil it, and if you don't do what I say, I'm just going to do this and have my way with you. And so, But here's the main point I want to get across today. I know a lot of times, surrounded by so much nonsense, you can begin to let your guard down. You can begin to take your foot off the gas. In the church today, we see a lot of blurred lines between culture and kingdom, 
There are a lot of people having a hard time telling the difference between simple right and wrong, poor choice of priorities, people who have completely lost touch with our main goal here and are just in search of more recognition, pleasure, money, ease, whatever it would be. People that have put all of their personal growth only in the stock of what pastor says on Sunday or what the latest self-help book says and not in precious time spent with the creator of the universe in the words he left us as a roadmap. So this picture reminds me so much of what it looked like for Samuel as a young boy, and that's why I read that. So Samuel is a man, and we all know the story of Hannah. Most of us do. So Hannah, Eli sees her in the temple. She's weeping. She wants a son. He thinks she's drunk. She goes, no, I'm not drunk. I'm weeping. I'm mourning because I want a son, and I'm praying to God day and night, whatever. And he goes, go and let your, your, your prayer be answered. So in her prayer and what she's saying, she says, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I just want to have a son. So she, she gets pregnant. She has a son. Her husband says, when he's weaned, then you could give him to the temple. So she weans him, whatever, and then goes to the temple. Now he's serving under Eli in the temple. He's growing. He's being taught. He's maturing. And the other thing, though, and this is what I keep going back to, is there was still a lot around Samuel that looked like it wasn't supposed to. There, Eli was, Eli's sons were still all in Samuel's business. He was around those people. Those are the people that he passed in the hallway. Those are the people that he saw on Sunday mornings. You know what I'm saying. But what distinguished him? <clears throat> Wearing a linen ephod. Even as a child, Samuel distinguished himself in his service to the Lord. His service was exceptional enough that he received a linen ephod, which is considered a priestly garment, according to Exodus. And so Samuel is a young boy, and he's already wearing the thing that when you walk in and you see what he's wearing, you know that he's set apart. That's what I'm saying about us. That's what I'm saying about City of Refuge South. That's our, that's our mission here. Even as a child, though a child, Samuel served the Lord better and in a greater way than the sons of Eli did. The passage would go on to say, get this, Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. I added, even amongst the wickedness and influence of those around him. So he was dedicated to the Lord. And what it says when Eli's sons were stealing, when they were taking what they wanted to take, you could find Samuel and Elin and Ephod ministering to the Lord. Excuse me. Samuel continued to grow. That's the other point I'm really trying to make today. Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people, even amongst the wickedness and influence of those around him. So here's what Samuel is remembered for. If we fast forward through a lot of all the scripture parts about him. Samuel is remembered as a prophet, someone that God trusted him with vision and word of knowledge and trusting that he would communicate it to his people and that he could be trusted with that. I mean, that's massive. When you're someone that is trusted with a word from God, he's considered that. He's considered a judge, someone that he was trusted to weigh the scales rightly, justly in front of people and make decisions that affected people heavily. He was considered a prophet, a judge, and he was a wise leader of Israel. I believe, and I don't quote me on this, I believe that scripture actually says those words. It calls Samuel a wise leader of Israel. Um, don't quote me on that. But it's a great example of what a life fully surrendered to the Father looks like. His obedience and fulfillment of commitments to his Lord should serve as a crucial example for all of our lives, even here in middle Georgia in 2023. That's what I'm trying to communicate today. This is the main point. If you haven't listened to anything I've said yet, this is it. This is what I was thinking. We shouldn't stay the same. And if our relationship with the Father is healthy, getting what we need, we won't. 
We shouldn't stay the same, and if our relationship with the Father is healthy, we won't. Okay, it's my second point. Are you spiritually obese? Because <laughs> we're talking about being spiritually healthy. You're allowed to, it's funny, it's okay. Put up that picture. So this is, do you have any Star Wars fans in here? Raise your hand if you like Star Wars. I like moderately like Star Wars. I, I like Star Wars, I'm not a super fan. This is Jabba the Hutt. And the reason he's up there as my picture of someone that's obese is I started to like look up pictures and I just did not feel right about putting a picture of an actual person up on the screen that we would all like laugh at. It's like, and for church today, we laughed at a fat person. So anyway, that's Jabba. You can take Jabba down or else they won't be able to focus on anything I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do we all agree that within church, within our circles, within our, our body, we should be challenged? We should be challenged, right? And it's necessary. Myself, no person is the, the exception to this rule. We need to be reminded of things. We need to sometimes have a little detail brought to our attention and go, ooh, that one stung a little bit. Okay. So this right here is a generalization, and I'm saying some things. This is not me talking about one particular person. This is just a much a generalization, challenging me as much as it is everybody else. But listen to what I'm saying, and please take this to heart. I believe this. Talking about spiritual obesity, I'm calling it, because we're talking about spiritually healthy. If you have been at this church or in relationship with Jesus for any extended length of time, and by extended length of time, I mean, like, if you got saved last week, like, and you're starting to walk into a real relationship with Jesus, this applies to you. Any extended length of time, and you're still not finding some capacity to serve in, I believe you're spiritually obese. If you continue to show up and be fed and feel good during altar calls, lift your hands during worship, come to the parties at Sunny D, share Christian posts on Facebook, but you're not actively walking in or trying to find out what God is calling you to do in this season to grow his kingdom, I believe you're spiritually obese. If you struggled, this is a big one, this applies to me again, this is, not a, generaliz this is a generalization, and this gets me. If you struggled with pride, anxiety, fear, control, lust, whatever it would be, your issue, one of your issues, 10 years ago, and we fast forward to present day, and you still struggle with that same exact thing to the same exact extent that you did 10 years ago, you're spiritually obese. Because if we have a walk with the Father that's healthy, we don't stay the same. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about that. You cannot convince me, you absolutely cannot convince me that God's intention for us, for me and you as followers of Christ, if you're sitting in this room and you say, I love Jesus, I'm living for him, I've been born again, you absolutely cannot convince me that his, his, what he wants for us is to come to know him, receive the spirit, enter great community, and then float around in his grace, content as a sinner, completely barricading ourselves off from what he wants and the blessing he has for us until Jesus comes back or until we go to be with him. You cannot convince, there's no person on this planet that can convince me that's what he's communicating here, that what a relationship with Jesus looks like. We get saved, we start walking the walk, and then it's like, okay, I've, I've made it. As a 25-year-old, I've made it, and this is where I'm going to stay. But instead, get this, Scripture suggests a refining, a constant working out of our salvation, a life that we spend with eyes full of wonder at who God is and what he's done that's so beautiful and so undeserved that we can't bear to stay the way that we are. I'm going to say it one more time. This is good. Instead, Scripture suggests a refining, a constant working out of our salvation, a life that we spend with eyes full of wonder of what he has done that's so beautiful and so undeserved that I cannot bear to stay in the place that I was when he saved me. 
So I don't believe that God wants to save you just so you can squander his provision through reverting back to the things that ensnared you in the first place. He wants to teach us how to maintain the goodness that he has for us. It's not a coupon that runs out. We come and we get saved. He gives us a gift, and it's like, thank you, and then it just continues. He's like, okay, this coupon got you through a door. Now I'm going to show you how to stay where you're at, and you're going to continue to walk with me, and it's going to get better, and it's going to get better, but you can't go back to the things, and you cannot stay the same. He's teaching us and giving us, is what I wrote, the keys to the kingdom if we would just continually wake up, say no to the world, and walk with him. One more time. He's teaching us, giving us the keys to the kingdom if we would just continue to wake up, say no to the world, and walk with him. My third point. The easiest way I believe to get in shape is when others are doing it with you. So I don't know if any of you are like me who have said you're going to get in shape about 900,000 times in your life. And then Nathan's giving me a thumbs up. I appreciate you, bro. But it's much, much easier when someone, on the day when you're not going to do it, someone texts you and is like, or calls you and is like, hey, let's go to the gym. I know you don't want to. I'll pick you up. Or, like, you go to a restaurant and someone's like, let's eat something good when you wanted to get, like, steak and cheese fries. You get what I'm saying. Usually doesn't work for me. <laughs> Pastor Doug Combs from the church that JC and I were interns at. Um, he's at Church on Fire in Harrison, Ohio, the head pastor. He's amazing. I love him. One thing that he always says is circles are better than rows. And I'm sure we can all you know, get what that means. And he's probably not the only one to have said that, but that's where I learned it. And what he's suggesting is, you know, rows are good. We're in here on a Sunday morning, but where real discipleship, where the real deepening happens in our lives when face-to-face intentional conversations or when it's a smaller group. I'm in a, like a ministry training kind of thing with a lady and a bunch of other people that are in ministry all over the U.S. And they, the lady that runs that says that small, even Jeff, Pastor Jeff said this last week, that talking about mega churches and small groups that like the biblical model for church is small groups, small groups and discipleship. And Jeannie Mayo says that she believes that seven or eight people is really like the maximum group size before you start losing out on the real deep intentionality with person to person. That's, that's what she says. And it's probably true. Cory Booker quotes an old African mantra that says, and you guys could probably finish it. Don't put it up there yet, Nathan. I'll see if they can finish it. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, thank you. <laughs> thank you, my wife. If you, want to, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I think that's true in ministry. I think that biblical model for community is true. So that's what I mean by saying that. That community isn't just an idea that we've created through mental health awareness and like community is biblical god never intended for us to do the christian walk life alone i believe that biblical community attracts the holy spirit but there's a difference between a club people that meet together with the same colors on and have the same name in a biblical community in a biblical community the main focus this is what i'm talking about today community when we sit in here we're on sundays like this is great but the real deepening happens when you are with your brothers and sisters in christ the main goal in a biblical community is to grow and mature in our faith so howard macy writes this about community we're getting towards the end here so if you're starting to check out just lock in for just a second. This is really good. I was reading, I feel like I have, and most of us have a decent understanding of like what community is and what it looks like, but I was having a really hard time trying to like communicate it biblically, and so I started, I was just reading some articles, reading some stuff, and this guy, Howard Macy, 
writes this about community, and I thought it was so good. So I'm going to read what he wrote. Just lock in for just a second. It won't take long. Um, but this, if, you, if, if someone asked you today and said, what is biblical community, and you couldn't answer that question confidently, really listen to this. This is so good. He titles it, God never intended for any of us to live the Christian life alone. At the mere mention of the word community, people often eye you as if you had dropped in from another world, then they smile tolerantly and hope you change the subject. Good, sensible Christian people. They fear that you're going to tell them that they have to sell all they own, move to a farm, excuse me, wear bib overalls and raise peanuts, or that you have to abandon, excuse me, that you have to abandon your fertilized lawn and move to the inner city because they misunderstand the idea of community. Many Christians don't even want to think about it. So to avoid thinking about community simply because we misunderstand it is going to deprive us of one of God's greatest gifts on this earth. The idea of community is in a sense from another world, a world very unlike our own, but is neither from the world of communes in Vermont nor the placid world of cookies and tea Christians share before they rush back to their isolated lives. Community is from the world as God wants it to be. I believe that. It is the gift of a rich and challenging life together, one that we need and we can receive with joy. Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. This is good. This is probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Get this. It moves us beyond the self-interested isolation of a private life and beyond the superficial social contacts like us bumping into each other and saying hello in the hallway that pass for Christian fellowship. The biblical idea of community challenges us to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. We know all too well that maturity takes time. We know less well that it also takes our sisters and brothers in Christ. It's a process that is revealed in the each other language of the New Testament. Get this. Love one another, forgive each other, regard each other more highly than yourselves, teach and correct each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, and bear each other's burdens. Be friends with one another, kind, compassionate, and generous in hospitality. Serve one another and submit to one another out of reverence in Christ. And this list just scratches the surface. But it's enough to remind us that we need the community of faith to grow up in Christ. We need it. We need it. It's a biblical principle and there's a biblical model. You need brothers and sisters. He says up here again, we know all too well that maturity takes time, but we know less well that it also takes our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christian community is the place of our continuing conversion. Its goal is that individually and together we should become more mature and no, no, no longer knocked around by the clever religious hucksters, but able to stand tall and straight embodying the full fullness of Christ. And that's what he wrote, and I thought it was brilliant. That's biblical community. So as we close up here, I'm just going to kind of conclude. In a healthy and daily walk with Jesus that just gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go on. It's just not possible for the wide-eyed child of the king to be fooled by the world into giving up the keys of the kingdom to stay in the same stained patterns of life we've always been in. If you are spiritually obese, tweak your diet. You may need community. You may need to start giving him the first fruits of your day so that the nutrients you're getting first before everything else are his word. You may need accountability. We aren't very good at telling ourselves we're wrong and we need to change. You may need to be taking in more of his word that acts as a mirror revealing the things about us that aren't like Christ. And this is kind of a, like a declaration by me, and I pray this a lot. City of Refuge South, I believe, will be a place that if Jesus were here on earth, he would want to come hang out here. Like Pastor Jeff has been saying, if you feel like you don't belong and you haven't fit in everywhere else, well, you're home. You made it. You belong here. 
I believe that we will be a church that naturally resembles Jesus more and more as time goes on because our spiritual walk is a healthy walk. He's been far too good for us to stay the same. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we just thank you again for your word and your presence. We thank you for your constant attention to us. And you're too good, God. You've been too good to us for it to stay in the same stained patterns of life and the same thoughts and the same habits and actions, God. And we just want to be more like you. So, God, this word today that was spoken straight from you, it doesn't return void. God, would it fall on good, fertile soil, producing fruit? Every person that walked in here, none would be able to leave and say they left the same way. We believe for lasting life change and lasting heart change that resembles you, that creates a more of a nearness to you, and that your kingdom would grow and more people would spend eternity in heaven because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.